You're listening to The Impulse Project, featuring music from the demo scene and the tracking community. guys welcome back to the impulse project this is episode 17 i am ed as usual here with my pal brian how's it going guys welcome to episode 17 and uh yeah today we have a kind of interesting little theme it's it's kind of a loose theme but uh yeah, you know, we both have our um, our main projects, I guess you can call them. I have Pixel Tunes Radio, and Brian has Pixelated Audio. They are video game music podcasts, and the demo scene world and the video game music world overlaps quite a bit, so we figured, you know, why not take a bunch of our favorite video game music composers and kind of explore the music and, uh, you know, the quote-unquote careers or, or activity in the scene uh, before they became video game music composers or alongside their video game music compositions, kind of give a, a put a spotlight on a lot of the tracks from guys that you may know as video game composers that, you know, you might not know of these of these songs. So we had a lot of fun digging these up, and there's a lot of good stuff. Yeah, and the whole idea around this episode is to kind of look at their, their past work and uh, kind of play it by ear. We're going to have uh, some fun. We have some really great tracks picked out. And uh, I think that kind of looking at the history of some of these more well-known composers is going to be fun. Yeah, so what brought us in today uh, was Hardcastle, and that was a track by Neil Baldwin. And he was known as Demon at the time. That was his handle. Uh, The track was released in 1987, and I first became aware of Baldwin uh, when he was composing for Eurocom on the NES, games like uh, Magician, which had, uh, you know, the game itself was probably a lot more mature than what I was 
able to play back when I was like, you know, eight, nine years old, but the soundtrack blew me yeah, away. Yeah, that totally passed me, so. Yeah, so, you know, I, I became well aware of him through that and uh, and really enjoyed his NES compositions. So I wanted to kind of go back and find out about all the C64 stuff that he did. So this was a four kilobyte SID file, um, like I said, written way back in 1987 on the 6581 chip. And, you know, it sounds maybe a little more simple than a lot of the... It doesn't sound really Baldwin to me. Uh Yeah, well, it's one of his first compositions. I mean, he started composing in 1986, so this was only a year after he started making music. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the reasons why it probably doesn't sound so Baldwin is because he started off composing in a very old C64 composition program called Electrosound, which is what a lot of the early UK composers used. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't very verbose. It didn't allow for that much play within um, you know the channels and, and, and the tracks right so um, so Baldwin who was a huge fan of Rob Hubbard uh, basically took Rob Hubbard's uh, software that he used his custom-made software that he used to create his own songs reverse engineered his composition tools and then built his own software out of it to make his own music that's pretty incredible so, I did not know that that's awesome yeah I'm pretty sure that this particular track was created probably on electro sound which is why it sounds a little more simple mm-hmm. uh doesn't really have that baldwin feel because um especially on his nes compositions large sweeping tunes much slower pace exactly exactly that's that's why I, I first when i heard it i was uh i i didn't look at the uh his actual name i just saw you know the demon on there so i was like I was like, who is this? Because I, I, we had this theme planned, you know? And so I was like, man, like, who is this? Why do I not know this? This doesn't sound familiar to me. And then when I looked it up in the in our show notes here, I was like, oh, crap. That's, it was Baldwin. Never would have thought. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, he became famous or, you know, very popular um, in 1987 with Shadow Skimmer. Uh, Garfield and Sensible Soccer he did uh, for the Sega Master System in 1988. Mm -hmm. And The Magician came out in 1990. Lethal Weapon on the NES, he's well known for. We played a track from that on my uh, video game music show, Pixel That's how I know him from that game. Yeah, that's a great soundtrack. Oh, it is. And then he's worked on all sorts of different consoles going forward. Game Boy, 3DO, Game Gear, SNES, and uh, all the way up to 2006, he actually did audio production on Ice Age 2 for uh, GameCube and PS2. Yeah, so he's been in the game for a long time. Man. Yeah, he's, he, stayed, he stayed composing for quite a long time. He really enjoys it. Um, recently, he got back into uh, NES composition, and he started a website called DutyCycleGenerator.com. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a blog that uh, he delves into his own past as a composer, and uh, talks about how he made a lot of his soundtracks, some of the quirks of the NES uh, 2A03 sound chip. It's it's a real joy to look at, and he's he explains everything so even a dummy could kind of understand what he's talking about. So we'll we'll throw a link to that site up on our show notes. It's it's a really cool resource for people who are kind of into the behind the scenes of of composers and and how they make music. Right. No, I I think that he is an excellent composer in the. Uh, video game space, but I think that, uh, you know, this track was really fun to listen to. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I really enjoyed it, but I think that, uh, you know, he, he shows that he's very versatile 
you know, individual being able to jump from platform to platform. And I think that's that's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he, like I said, 1980s, if, if I was listening to this track in 1987, I think I would be impressed by it. I think we're, we're very spoiled by, because a lot of the SIDS that we play on this show are usually like 1990 and later. Yeah. You know, where, where in those <laughs> we three are years. Spoiled. Yeah. Exactly. And in th- in, in those three years, the quality of the, um, of the composition tools available on the C64 had vastly uh, improved. Skyrocketed. Yeah. So, you know, this guy's basically using like stones and sticks to make yeah. <laughs> you know, metaphorically speaking to create this track. So, it's it's pretty impressive in my book. Yeah. He does so, jump uh, around. He does jump around to a bunch of different genres too um in his different compositions. He's uh when going back to the versatility, uh it's not just in platform, it's also in uh, compositional style. I think his his genre kind of uh fluctuation is is very important for a composer to have and something like that is is very powerful i think yeah sure yeah if you listen to something like magician compared with with lethal weapon they're two very different styles or like of, the of jungle book <laughs> yeah of course <laughs> anyways it, about ready to move on to the yeah. next track absolutely what's your first track of the day all right so this track is called defunct memory and it's composed by nuke from the group anarchy
right, welcome back. That was Defunct Memory, composed by Nuke of the group Anarchy. And this is a four-channel mod file at 70 kilobytes. And Nuke is better known as Martin Iveson. And this was a, just a really early track in his career. I found this just recently, actually, kind of looking up some of my uh, my favorite like Amiga composers, and uh, this popped up, and I was like, "Holy, holy crap! This is this is a sweet little tune." And uh, this was released in 1991. I guess what I like about this track is that it's not overly complex. It has uh, a very kind of simple, short melody. It doesn't last very long. It's maybe uh, a few patterns at the most. And then uh, it just has this really cool groove. I, I really dig the the little woodblock clicks and stuff like that. They're, they're very faint, but uh, yeah. no, it was just a, it's just a fun little track. It has a very uh, kind of a traditional demo scene feel to it, mm-hmm. but it kind of eschews a lot of the crazy note runs that a lot of composers do to kind of like show off their chops. And it keeps it kind of simple. And I, I really like it for that reason. And kind of a counterpoint to what we said about the Neil Baldwin track, I think this sounds very much like the Martin Iveson tracks that I am familiar with. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you could see a, a lot of in his later games and stuff, you can see kind of maybe where that came from because it does have a, a very jazzy, kind of funky vibe to the uh, the bass, not just this track, but in like in the bass line and in his percussion usage and stuff. Yeah. And so seeing this this earlier track and kind of comparing it with some of his, his video game work, there is a, a very hand-in-hand comparison, I think. Yeah, it's funny. On uh, on Pixel Tunes Radio, we did an episode focusing on the music of Core Design. You know, the guys who made Tomb Raider and Wolf Child, and you know right. all those games. And of the twelve songs that we had in that show, uh, six of them had Martin Iveson in some capacity as either the <laughs> originator of the composer, or arranged by somebody else, or right. as the composer himself. So that kind of shows you how influential and how much of a star he was at that at that company. Right, he um, did a ton of games. He did uh, Jaguar XJ220, uh, there was Chuck Rock 1 and 2, Agony, Wolf Child, which is one of my favorite all-time soundtracks. Heck yeah. Um, Blastar, I uh, did like um, Shellshock 1 and 2, and like nearly all the Tomb Raider games, right? I think a was... lot of the Tomb Raider games, some of them were composed by Nathan McCree, but Iveson did the earlier ones. Right, right, right. right. Um, he worked on Fighting Force on the PlayStation, Swagman, Thunderstrike. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, just a whole bunch of stuff. My first introduction to his music was I think it was either it was either Jaguar XJ220 or Thunderstrike on the Sega CD. So, I heard his Red Book Audio stuff first before I even heard his his chip music. Mine would have been Jaguar or it would have been Agony or Wolfchild. It would have been one of those three. I'm not exactly sure how they fall chronologically in, but it would have been one of those. The Amiga versions? Uh, it would have been the Amiga versions, yeah. most likely, yeah. Um, because I, I played a ton of Wolfchild on the Amiga, and that was a that was a big, important game. And I think on you know Pixelated Audio, we've played a few tracks uh, from him before, too, So especially a Wolfchild track. Um, but anyways, you know, Martin Iveson, he also, he had a few different handles that he went by. He was one of the founding members of a group called Lemon Point. And uh, this this group was, it was kind of early on in his, I guess, demo scene life. And uh, it didn't last very long. But then in 1990, he joined Anarchy. And Anarchy was a huge group. And uh, they were putting out tons of stuff. And then 
soon after he joined Anarchy, he changed his name or his handle from Nuke to Spaceman. So if you want to look up some of his stuff, you might find him under uh, his alias Spaceman instead. In fact, in um, Modland, if you go to the Modland FTP and you go through some of the stuff there, it's all under Spaceman. There's no Nuke anything in there. Huh. Um, but uh, he also had a handle called Goober, <laughs> which not not... <laughs> sure where he used that or when he used that but that's what it says on demo zoo you know most of his music fits kind of somewhere between like this hip-hop jazz and house but it also has like a weird trance kind of on top of that too and he, he kind of plays between those genres but this track i thought um does fit his style very well yeah i always got kind of uh like a little bit of an island feel to his music too in a lot of places and then, uh, and then, like Thunderstrike, it's like pure like guitar rock. So he goes all yeah, over the place. Yeah, that I mean, I think Thunderstrike is kind of a, a skew from his his mm, typical yeah, stuff. Kind of but, an outlier. Yeah, uh, if you look at some of his uh, his more like uh, traditional like Amiga game soundtracks, uh, it does fit that genre a little bit more. I, I we don't hear so much rock from him, but uh, yeah, he was. Um, just a, a really important composer to me and I think obviously to you as well. So uh, it was fun to, to kind of look at some of his, his old stuff like this. Definitely. All right. Ready for the next one? Totally. Okay. This one is uh, the third track in the three tunes collection on the C64. Uh, this one is from a gentleman known as Coroid. Welcome back. That was subsong number three from 3tunes.sid. 
uh, composed by Coroid, otherwise known as Jonathan Dunn. That was a 12 kilobyte SID file using the 6581 chip. Came out in 1987, just as Dunn's game music composition career was kind of taking off. And uh, it's got a nice bouncy beat to it. I think, uh, you know, I like uh, hearing these kind of more simple, almost like virgin songs from these guys who went on to create these really complex tunes on the C64 and the NES, you know? They kind of look at, you know, looking back and kind of seeing their, their uh, I guess, personal growth as a composer is pretty rad. Yeah, definitely. You see, you see the roots. You know, you see kind of where little snippets of their kind of trademark sound came from throughout, throughout right, the years. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Jonathan Dunn was, uh, I guess, most well known for working with uh, Ocean, the development company. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. he did a lot of NES and C sixty four games through them. And uh, you know, most notably, at least no- most notably for me, I think the first time I ever heard a tune from him was uh, Jurassic Park on the NES. <laughs> I, that would be me as well, uh, Jurassic Park. Yeah, uh, where he notoriously kind of. I guess borrowed uh, a tune from Comic Bakery. Yeah, Comic Bakery. I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? But, you know, hey, it was really cool to hear that on an NES, you know, because it was just oh, such was. a demo scene, Amiga C64. I mean, everybody's covered that to death. So oh, it was yeah. cool to hear it in a, in a commercial release, kind of uh, cemented in history. Oh, yeah. And, and I didn't know that when I first heard Jurassic Park, uh, the music for Jurassic Park, um, I heard it on both the NES and the Game Boy. I had both versions. And um, I, I fell in love with that track, and it wasn't until like a few years later that I realized. What I guess one of my friends had told me, who also was a C sixty four guy, um, I was more of an Amiga kid, but uh, he had a, a C sixty four. was a few years older than me, and he was like, "Oh yeah, this is already a, a tune. You you didn't know that?" And I was like, "Oh uh, <laughs> no, sure I did." Just, yeah. <laughs> oh man, but yeah, he he is a, a very fantastic composer my real um i guess love for for jonathan dunn came with uh listening to the ocean loader music um he did oh, yeah. uh, i think he did uh loader four and five the, the official loader four and five and those tracks are are really awesome i guess his c64 style specifically is is very abrasive and you have to like that sound and i i know uh, you do and and i do but there's a, a handful of people that would probably listen today and be like, ah, it's a little <laughs> bit too much. It's a little bit too much. But it, it, his style, I think, is is really great, especially moving forward. You know, after the C64 era, he really kind of uh, blossomed into, uh, you know, even a more dynamic composer. Definitely. And, and there's a lot of stuff out there that he's written for, like terrible games that people hate. Um, <laughs> oh, like yeah. we shared a track from uh, Hudson Hawk on the NES in one of our Pixel Tunes radio shows. And it's a game that, you know, gets panned so hard that nobody even picks it up because the movie sucked, the game sucked, but the music is fantastic. So, you know, and he did a lot of those because Ocean always did uh, licensed titles. So, like, Robocop, Mm -hmm. Darkman, Simpsons, Mm -hmm. Adam's Family. Actually, he counts Adam's Family on the SNES as one of his favorite um, soundtracks that he's actually most proud of creating. And it is a really, really good soundtrack, too. That is a really good soundtrack, yeah. It's, It's cool because I think... Uh, you don't really hear a lot of compositions from 
uh, composers who have also worked with the Amiga on the SNES, and because the hardware, like the way it works is so similar to each other, like being sample-based, um, mm-hmm. you get to hear kind of a different take on SNES music when you're listening to uh, a composer that's originally started off on the on the Amiga versus somebody who mm-hmm. just kind of came to the SNES as, you know, right off the bat. You know, it's funny that you say that because I think a lot of the European composers that actually did uh, Nintendo or NES composition, a lot of them brought their knowledge from the C64 and the Amiga, and those are some of the best soundtracks on the platform. You can't say that for every single, you know, European artist, but I'd say that, you know, a lot of the... Uh, the composers that made that that kind of transition through you know companies like Ocean did a fantastic job and, and to this day are kind of known in history for having amazing soundtracks along with all those Japanese composers that already were doing some amazing stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. very different, but at the same time, it's still very awesome. Tim and Jeff Fallon are a perfect example of that. Spider-Man, X-Men, Arcade's Revenge, uh, Rock and Roll mm-hmm. Racing, Plock, all those games are fantastic and, and they already had those those, uh, you know, that that sample-based knowledge coming from the Amiga and, and a lot of the other sample-based uh, sound generators. So, yeah, I totally agree with you there. Exactly. You ready to move on to the next track? Yes, hit me with your next one. All right, so this is called World of Plastic, and it's a Screen Tracker 3 file composed by Purple Motion of Future Crew.
You just heard World of Plastic, composed by Purple Motion of Future Crew. And uh, this is an 8-channel Scream Tracker 3 file at about 62 kilobytes, and I thought it was absolutely amazing. I love this track. This is really, really good. Yeah, it has a very uh, a very demo scene vibe, and I think that that is because Purple Motion is a huge part of the demos. He's very, very <laughs> influential uh, composer. And uh, in fact, I know him better as Purple Motion than his real name, which is Jonah Voltonen. And uh, he's a Finnish composer and he has been just all over the demo scene kind of spectrum over the years, but he has made quite a name for himself in like orchestral arrangement and uh, other, other things today. And uh, does have a very strong uh, lead section, but then it has kind of the delay and the echo on different chords. And if you look at the the actual module in uh, Tracker, it's it's very busy, but it's also very slow moving because he has so many different uh, channels doing so many different things. And I think that leads into moving forward in his career that arrangement, that I guess orchestral arrangement. Yeah, he's definitely got some chops. I, I was reminded of a lot of the stuff that uh, Drax and Your Own Tell put out through Maniacs of Noise. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the sample sets are very, very similar to what they used a lot in their tracks, uh, especially, I think, what was it, like episode two or three of Impulse Project? We played some Drax tracks, and they they sounded very similar to this one. Yeah, I think we played a, I think we played a few tracks from him at this point, but um, yeah, this was released in 1993 for the uh, Assembly Demo Party, and this was actually the invite, and so uh, everybody got to kind of see this going into the party, and a few notes about Future Crew. Future Crew, it, they started in 1986 as a C64 group, but in 1988, a few years later, they moved over to the PC demo scene. They uh, were kind of well known for co-organizing the first assembly party in 1992, and that was a big deal because assembly is still still tracking. And um, Future Crew, uh, I think what's kind of, I, I mean, to me, what is really cool about uh, this, this group is that they were responsible for Scream Tracker. And I mean, all these SM3 files that we're, we're seeing today is because of the software that they worked on. Scream Tracker is kind of important, not just because uh, a lot of people composed on it, but it also inspired uh, other trackers like Impulse Tracker to uh, to be created. And it's, it's kind of based around that. So it's a very important, very well known, very well loved demo group. To be a part of that is, is very uh, cool, I think. Yeah, I think Valtonen was probably the most influential member in one of the most influential groups, so it's pretty cool. Yeah, well, he ended up being their main composer. After just a few years, they saw he had chops, and they were like, okay, well, let's make you kind of in charge of all of our releases, and he ended up doing that. But uh, So Purple Motion, he ended up graduating uh, with a degree in classical composition and now owns a company called Valtone Oi, which basically is this company that specializes in video game audio he's won all sorts of awards he got a best soundtrack award in the international fest of cinema and technology for the movie house by the sea um, i never saw that so i couldn't tell you much about the uh, <laughs> about the soundtrack but uh but i mean you know that's a very prestigious award 
He's also earned worldwide recognition as the main arranger of the annual video game music concerts for the uh, German WDR Radio Orchestra. So he's um, like the Finnish Tommy Tallarico, basically. Ex- exactly. <laughs> and then in 2008, he took the lead position for all the live orchestra projects for a company called Marignan Studios that assembles game music concerts and different kind of live events around the world. But this guy's got some some major kind of credit behind his name because he's done orchestral arrangements of uh, things like Final Fantasy, Super Mario Brothers, uh, Mario Galaxy, The Elder Scrolls, Metal Gear Solid, Kingdom Hearts, and The Legend of Zelda, uh, and also Castlevania. So, I mean, that, those are, like, you can't get much bigger than those titles. Those are the most, most well-loved kind of video game franchises or video games. And uh, he's done all the orchestral stuff behind it. So that's that's pretty impressive. That's really awesome. Yeah. Kind of a side note, in 2004, he released an album called Music Disc, which is kind of a, it, it's kind of cool because it's a throwback to all the stuff he did in kind of this era in the demo scene days. And it has just a bunch of tracks like kind of like this one. Yeah, it's just a really super intelligent individual and uh you know to be able to like kind of arrange and uh compose stuff for a a live orchestra that's got to be a a feat i mean that's i i can't even fathom what uh, amount of work goes into that for one individual especially when you're taking tracks from dozens of different composers and dozens of different styles and you know you're not just doing the same thing over and over again just with different notes you know so that's that's really cool yeah anyways um yeah the track was super fun to listen to and uh, i am ready for your last track what do you got my last track well and when i tell you guys the uh, handle this guy goes by you'll probably be able to guess his name right off the bat this is a track called wow and it's from Vert. Thank you. 
right, that was WOW, composed by Vert in 2001. And you might be thinking to yourself, but Ed, we haven't gotten to NES stuff yet. Why are you playing an NES track? Well, that was actually a Scream Tracker 3 file composed to sound like it came from an NES. Yeah, you would have fooled me. Yeah, seriously. Um, and that was composed by, if you haven't guessed it by now, Mr. Jake Kaufman. Yeah. God, I swear, uh, I swear that guy was Japanese uh, in his past life, <laughs> died, came back as an American, and started composing again. Yes. Uh, it kind of pisses me off. He doesn't put out anything that sucks. <laughs> he's always, no, he's always awesome. He always has some really great stuff. And, uh, you know, his his recent stuff, his old stuff, it all just, it's all, it's all great. He actually built this uh, kind of composition environment within the tracker to emulate a NES, so it's five tracks. He's got you know composition, or uh, he's got percussion on one, two square channels, your triangle channel, and your noise channel. So he basically set it up like a real NES would create music, um, and then just loaded in those NES samples mm. and, and went to work. Yeah, and uh, you know it sounds to me a lot like the stuff that he came out with for Shovel Knight, which he used Famitracker for anyway. Yep. So, you know, um, he he had these chops. This, this was out in 2001, so this was 10 years before Shovel Knight was even probably thought of. God so. damn. I want to punch this guy. <laughs> He's so awesome. Uh, no, it, it, you know, this track uh, for me and for Kaufman in general as a composer, I think that his use of volume levels is what is very impressive to me. Um, just... You know, other composers will will play with panning a little bit more, or they'll they'll play with speed changes and and you know different other kind of effects and tempo changes and stuff. I think Kaufman really kind of accentuates the uh, the best part of just uh, volume sliders, and he knows when to uh, attack, when to release, and when to decay those notes so perfectly that it's yeah. it's incredible. It ends up sounding so natural. You know, mm-hmm. it sounds like real hands on a real keyboard instead of just pre-programmed numbers on a grid. Yeah. Now, with this track, I actually got a little bit of a uh, Dragon Quest vibe or Dragon Warrior for the NES. Kind of, There was a few parts in there where it had these scales that really sounded like uh, like the early uh, Dragon Warrior game, that first one on NES where you're, you're talking to the king or whatever. I, I swear to God, that memory just came flashing back when I heard it. <laughs> I heard a lot of Konami in this. I heard a lot of Castlevania. Oh yeah, I heard yeah, yeah. A, a little bit of Ninja Turtles. Mm-hmm. So, and, and he's very, very influenced by those early Konami soundtracks. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I've, I've I've heard several interviews with him where that was basically what got him into wanting to create video game music was old old Konami NES games. So this this was basically him, like almost like a love letter to those to those games. Yeah. Um, he started off by contributing. Uh, remixes and covers to video game music remix sites like Overclocked Remix. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's where I is... first found him myself, actually. I was a big fan of like OC Remix, and I would go there all the time and check everything. I mean, this is years ago, and I remember him posting stuff, and everybody was just upvoting it, thinking it was incredible. Yeah. And then, you know, he starts composing for video game soundtracks. Yeah, uh, he got his first job composing Qbert on the Game Boy in 2000, and uh-huh. then just took off from there. Um, he's worked on the whole Shantae series. 
Uh, basically, uh, probably about 85% of everything that WayForward, the uh, development company, has put out, he's composed the soundtracks for those games. Was he working with WayForward? He was actually employed by WayForward, right? He was, and then he went freelance, but he is still working with WayForward just right. as a freelancer, at least as of this recording. That's why he can do all these other things to, you know, Shovel Knight and stuff as well, yeah. Exactly. So, But then he can still, when because a, a new uh, Shantae game is coming out very shortly, and he wrote the soundtrack for that mm-hmm. as well. Um, currently, he's working on a project called New Ren, which mm-hmm. is uh, said to be the world's first virtual reality rock opera. Yeah, I, about I, a couple <laughs> of androids that are in love. So yeah. I, I saw that. I saw like some some uh, kind of media stuff about it, and I, I still don't even know what to expect. Yeah, no, it, it, it's interesting. He uh, they released kind of like a. It was almost like a demo scene release. Almost, it was like a, like a Windows executable where it, it plays uh, music from Nuren and then has uh, you know like a full 3D kind of uh, landscape and and uh, ships going around a city and kind of like a visual accompaniment to the music. So I think that's kind of like what they're going for for this rock opera feel. Huh. Yeah, I haven't I haven't actually downloaded it. I'm just like, yeah. what the hell is this? You know, like it's a, it's a pretty right. ambitious project. So. No, that's cool. I mean, thinking ahead, moving forward, maybe that's maybe you know, five years from now, that's all we're going to be listening to is uh, 3D virtual music, and <laughs> I don't even I don't even know how to you know my primitive brain can't even handle that. You know, how would I drive if I had a VR helmet on while I'm trying to get to work? <laughs> Just be augmented reality. Anyways, uh, <laughs> so this particular track was released as part of the FX One Chip Disc album. Uh, Jake Hoffman's put out, I think he's up to like five or six of these FX chip discs where he, uh, you know, just basically puts a lot of different chip tunes on there, ranging from uh, sample bass to wavetable to PSG to FM, just anything and everything. This man composes for every system known to man and also live instruments. So, oh, yeah. There's not a single musical device that he can't touch that he can't make some sort of beautiful sound come out of. It's pretty incredible. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, um, I, I think we're on our last track of the day. Yeah, try to follow this one up, dude. Well, this is actually a really good one. And, uh, you know, it's it's totally different. You know, we can't compare the two. But uh, this one is every or equally as awesome in its own right. This is There Are No Sheep, composed by Mad Max for the group The Lost Boys.
No Sheep, composed by Mad Max from the group The Lost Boys. And uh, this also goes by the title, Oh Crikey, No Sheep. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, I crack up every time I hear that. (laughs) Yeah, so Mad Max, uh, if you didn't know, is Jochen Hippel from Germany. And he is a prolific game composer on the Atari ST and Amiga, one of my all-time favorite European game composers. Now, he was actually, or Hipple, was actually a member of The Exceptions. And The Exceptions was kind of like the pioneering group for the Atari ST. They kind of like paved the way for what the demo scene on the platform became. Um, However, he did work on this project with the Lost Boys, which is a it's a cool demo but Mm. the music has this notoriety around it and i also have a lot of nostalgia for it to be perfectly honest uh, i was an amiga kid we didn't have an st so my first experience with this track was actually uh, a remix well i guess more of like a transcription um by i think it was danny one way but um i heard this way before i heard the original but i you know i eventually you know years later when we had you know methods to listen to this kind of stuff uh i did hear this uh this original composition and um i fell in love with it and it still means a lot to me you know i've heard this track i i don't know like a thousand times now mm. and even even to this day like just a moment ago you know i have to close my eyes and just absorb it i love it yeah, no, I definitely agree with you. Like, I was kind of joking when I said, you know, follow up that that Jake Kaufman track with something awesome. But, you know, I because I hadn't heard this before the show. So 
I'm like kind of listening to it. It kind of like starts off in the left channel. I'm like, all right, this is a pretty cool. And then the percussion starts up in the right channel. And then it, like that bass kicks in, and I was like, oh, all right, this is really good stuff. So. <laughs> really good, yeah. But, um, you know, it's up for debate, but I truly believe, and I think a lot of other uh, Atari ST, you know, fans out there would agree that he really was the first great composer on the platform. Now, there, there were others that came before him, obviously, but uh, I think he was the first one to really um, kind of master the sound of the YM2149. And what really got him kind of noticed when he was first starting out on the platform is that uh, the Exceptions released a demo called Best in Galaxy, or B.I.G. demo. And it featured this huge collection of classic C64 tunes that he converted over to the YM format. And this was a, a massive challenge because the YM2149 didn't have the same uh, enveloping. It didn't have the ring modulation. So trying to kind of usher that in from the SID chip. And let's be honest, you know, the YM2149 is no SID chip. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so trying to usher that in and kind of faithfully recreate the sounds uh, just left people speechless. And if you go to DemoZoo and you look up that demo and, you know, listen to some of the tracks yourself, you know, it's, you'd be surprised. It, there's a lot that you can do on the hardware given the, the right tools and the right creativity, I guess. And um, this really, I think, is what got him the most noticed and uh, his name out there. And eventually, you know, people wanted more yeah yeah that's that's insane so i i first heard about him uh through you i guess <laughs> uh right because you did a couple of his games on pixelated audio right yeah 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 we just released an episode um oh crap maybe that's after this episode comes out <laughs> anyways we just covered um astroth for the amiga which was uh an amazing soundtrack a very important one to me and uh, you know he's just a just an awesome composer. And when he made the jump from the ST over to the Amiga, he still had, you know, he brought with him his all of his skills and still was producing just as amazing or if not more amazing uh, quality stuff on the, uh, that platform as well. That's really cool. You know, he was also an amazing Amiga engineer. So when he was working at Italian, he actually did all the engineering to uh, port it over to the platform. And I mean, that's that's a major undertaking there, too. And, and I've always said, you know, some of the best composers are the guys who can code their own drivers, who can code their own stuff, who know their way in and out of the software, as well as just being able to play a keyboard, too. Well, yeah, on that note, he also created all of his own tools to compose. But then he took Hulesbeck's tools, uh, which was um, a software called TFMX, and he converted that over to the ST, and then he kind of went a step further and um, added some more functions and stuff to it. But then he also created a seven-voice replayer for the platform, and that, huh. I mean, that's another just win for this guy. You, you can't stop him. That's amazing. Anyways, I, I really love Hipple's music. I think he's an excellent artist. Um, just a stellar dude. And I think that about wraps up the show. Yeah, this was a fun show. I wouldn't say it had like the most mind-blowing tracks, but I think it was a good historical kind of show. We're, we're digging deep into these composers who have this established career, and most of the stuff that we love from them uh, was kind of midway into their career. You know, they'd already gotten their 
feet wet and worked out all of the, uh, I guess, the kinks. Right. And digging back into, uh, you know, most of the stuff that we picked out is really, really early on. And it's kind of like when they were just learning and kind of experimenting. Mm. But I think from like a historical point of view, it's, it's actually really neat. Yeah, and there are a lot of other, obviously, you know, composers that are in the world of video games nowadays that uh, were also in the demo scene, so we will post some of that stuff in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash impulse project, and if you guys know of any of your favorite video game composers that had music out before they were creating music for video games... You know, and you can find it on YouTube or SoundCloud or whatever. Post it up on the uh, on the group. We'd love to hear uh, some of these more like historical tracks. We'd love to see where these guys started off from. Yeah, it's like a historic adventure. You know, I had like 20 or so tracks I had to narrow down. I always have to whittle my tracks down to, to make them fit in the episode. <laughs> um, but I have some more stuff that I want to play and uh, would love to hear uh, your guys you know, stuff that you may have come across over the years. And it's, you know, I, it's always fun to share this kind of stuff, this old kind of kind of classic uh, feeling stuff from these uh, these well-known guys early on in their in their career. Anyway, so thank you guys so much for listening. Our next episode, I think, you know, Evoke is just a few days away. Yeah, Evoke 2016. And as you guys know, we like to explore the... Uh, results of the parties, or actually, you know, uh, at least the big parties, yeah. when they're done, Evoke is one of the biggest, so... Or ones that were, you know, on our radar or we're interested in, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so it, uh, it all comes down to when the results are released, so uh, either next episode or at least the episode after that, we will be delving into Evoke, um... And, oh, I'm excited. Uh, yeah, and then we'll play some of our favorites from, from those tracks. And as usual, you can find us on Twitter at ImpulseCast. And we're also on Facebook at Facebook.com slash groups slash ImpulseProject. And, you know, joining the group doesn't, you know, there is no commitment. You just, uh, you know, join in and if you see something you like or if you want to post something awesome, um, if not, you know, follow along we've got some really cool um uh, other artists who post in there and uh you know other listeners and just fans of the demo scene and it's just this huge community and it's a lot of fun to to kind of join in even if you're more of a silent type also we'd really appreciate if you left us a review and a rating on itunes if you haven't yet uh it, it lets us kind of gauge how the show is going and uh you know it only takes a few minutes and it gives us a little bit more i guess uh notoriety i guess that's how it works uh, <laughs> but you know it's it's kind of a good way for us to judge what's going on with the show and what we can improve on so uh really urge you to do that and we'd appreciate it you might even get a shout out so anyways thank you guys so much for listening and we will see you in our next episode take it easy peace out